Hello, it's Peter Wright and Kathleen Beauvais in Ontario, Canada, with another episode of The Yacking Show. This is the show that aims to bring you a wider range of actionable tips and ideas to improve your business than practically anywhere else in one place on the internet. We all have always have interesting guests. Today will be no exception. Really excited to listen and see today's guests. But first of all, let's introduce co-host Kathleen Beauvais from Down the Road, Waterloo, Ontario. Hi, Kathleen. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Peter, and thank you all so very much for tuning into our show. We're so excited about this show today, and anybody who has a desire to start a business, you will find this inspiring. You'll want to watch this video today because we have the great pleasure of welcoming Phil Fraser, who built a startup business from his kitchen table and ultimately sold it for millions of dollars. Phil is a brilliant business sounding board, um, and he will be speaking to us about lessons he has learned from being a mentor to entrepreneurs and business owners. Welcome to the show, Phil. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for the uh, thanks for the big build up. Hopefully, I don't disappoint anybody. <laughs> I'm sure you will not, Phil. But I'm sure now, you would. Before we get started, can you just give us a little bit about your background and how you came to start a business from your kitchen table? Okay, not only was it from a kitchen table, but it was by accident as well. So um, uh, let's go all the way back to 2000. Um, I'd been working in an ad agency, um, ended up heading up the digital arm of the agency, decided to go client side, um, but wanted to go somewhere where this newfangled internet thing was, because I thought this this internet, there might be some legs in this, there might be some opportunities in this. Um, and I ended up... Um, with a a big UK company called William Hill, who were a sports Mm -hmm. book. And I was recruited to launch their online casino, uh, which I did. Um, During my time with them, uh, we came across the concept of online bingo, which was just starting in the US. Um, So I was asked to do a presentation to the board, you know, should we get into online bingo, which I did. The board decided it wasn't for them, which is fair enough. Um, and I, not because of it, I left uh, left the company at the end of the year and then um, decided really to do some consultancy work. And, and back in the day, online online gambling was was just, just getting going. So I was working as a consultant. I'd done a year in online gambling. So I was an expert, you know, in the valley of the, you know, in the, in the kingdom yeah. of the the one-eyed man is king. Um, and somebody approached me and said, you know, I want to get into online gambling. It's, you know, it's going to be a big big next big thing what do you think so i said you want to get into online bingo that's going to be that's the next frontier and about 24 48 hours later i thought well why am i advising somebody else to do this why don't i do this myself um so i took this this plan that i'd taken to my employer about launching an online bingo site changed it around a bit and created a pitch deck to take out to to uk angel investors to invest in what would have been at the time the first pay-to-play online bingo site in the UK. All all sounds good so far. Yeah, Um, yeah. And what I'd done is I'd built a very basic website which listed all the the US bingo sites that were in the market at the time. And and on it, I'd put a very basic pop-up questionnaire so I could get some data about the players, you know, age, sex, demographics, spend patterns, that sort of thing. So when I was doing my pitch, I sounded like I knew what I was talking about with the audience. Um, so for my pitch, I got zero interest, nothing, nothing, nothing. I went to lots of different places. 
Um, there, were, there were three main reasons why I didn't, and I won't go into that, because it, it wasn't my fault. It was all macro stuff rather than me. But what happened was um, a number of the US bingo sites that I'd listed on my research site contacted me and said, hey, can we advertise on your website? Now, my background pre-agency was selling advertising space right. in right. newspapers and magazines. So I thought, oh, I might be able to do this, not to do this. And basically sort of worked out how to put an, an ad on a website. And that became the business. Oh, wow. Totally by accident. There was no business plan. There was no strategy. It was just people started sending me money for ads. So I said, okay, put them on. And then more people sent me more money. Um, and that was the business. Now, within about when this was first starting, I was still looking for a proper job, um, you know, a real job. Um, and I, I got a, I got a job in an ad age, a, a digital ad agency. I got offered a job, nice job, car, salary, you know, the full full shooting match. And I went in to see them on the Friday before the Monday I was due to start, and said, "I've got this thing that's happening. I can't take the job." Oh, wow. That was a proper, proper sliding doors moment. Because, I, yep. you know, I had two young kids. We had two young kids at the time. Um, my wife was working part-time, but, but helping with this this business we thought we were starting. But, yeah, so I, I finished that finished that meeting and then rang my mum and said, Mum, you know that new job I told you I'd got? <laughs> I've uh, decided not to take it, you know. And as mums say, oh, that's well done, darling. <laughs> 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 so that's how that's how I accidentally started a business. Wow, 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 wow. But that, that's intriguing me. So, but you weren't actually doing any online or making any provision for an, online gambling. So why were people looking at the website? So what they were looking for was, and, and, and if you look at it, if you look at the market now, we, in the end, we started as a directory and we ended up as a comparison website as, as there are okay. in lots of different markets. Um, and what I did at the time was, and and because a lot of these companies, well, all these companies were, were, I don't know if you remember the legal situation in the US, it was quite complicated. Yep. They were all offshore. So they were in That's right. um, Antigua, Dominican Republic, all these, you know, looking at the maps, mm-hmm. going, where are these places? Right. So with all of them, and this was brilliant because it created a, a cash flow positive business straight away. I said, you send me some money and when the money arrives, I'll run your ad. So we were cash flow, you know, we weren't making a huge amount of money, but we were cash flow positive from day one. Right, right. Because right. that was that was the only way we were doing it. Yeah, very good. Wow. So so you started that, as you say, with uh, by accident, but somewhere along the line, you turned that into a huge business, multi-million dollar business, pound business. So what was the trigger that that got you to launch it into the high levels or into the big time? So we were, we were. I mean, within our story, obviously there's a lot of hard work and a lot of effort. There's sure. also right place at the right time. You know, if you're going to launch a business, launch a business into a growth industry. And, sure. you know, the old saying, you know, a rising tide raises all boats. You know, they're just almost on a, on a daily or weekly basis. There were new bingo sites launching all the time. Okay. And we then added them to the website. We could then contact the owner and say, hey, you've launched a business do you want to advertise on our website? And, and it sort of rolled like that. Um, but it took us five years before we became a, a 
I would call a proper business. So we, we started with it was just myself and my wife at home, kitchen table, as I explained. And then we grew and we took on freelancers. And, you know, we started generating some revenue and it was moving forward. And, and um, after five years, we, we were all working from home and with freelancers. Our main freelancer quit and said, look, I'm getting a proper job. So this was our this was one of our sort of key stick or twist moments in the in the story. So um, we took our sort of business to a, a local our, our local council were, were funding some business support. So we took our business to this business councillor and said, "Look, this is what we've got. What do you think?" And this was the first time we'd really shown it to anybody other than the accountant. As a you know, we sort of held it up to him and said, "What do you think?" Fingers crossed. Um, and he said, he said, fantastic, go for it. So we we took an office and we took two staff. And yeah, as tends to happen with businesses, you know, and and, and it's funny, I had, I had a discussion with somebody yesterday about should I, he was a bit chicken and egg, you know, I've got the business coming down the line, but I haven't got enough staff and I can't afford the staff, so yeah. I can't fulfill the business. But every time we took on a new member of staff, surprise, surprise, the business grew because we had bigger mm-hmm. capacity. Interesting. So we could... We could create more content on the website. The website became better. So we added some more designers. Now we had a salesperson. Then we had a SEO person. And it stepped and grew and grew. Now, after, in, in year six, going back to the US market, the US market, the laws changed. And we lost 80% of our business overnight. Wow. Wow. Oh, my. So God. it was uh, November 2006. Right. And the U.S. brought it, brought in the um, UIGEA, the un- Unlawful Internet, UIGEA, Unlawful Internet Enabling Gambling Act or something. It was on the back mm-hmm. of something called the Port Bill. It was tagged on the back of it. Wow. And what it did was it made it illegal to fund, it made it illegal for banks to fund online ah. gambling, whether that was sports book, poker, casino, bingo, the whole thing. So the U.S. market just flatlined overnight but we by then we created a uk version of the bingo site <laughs> because the uk market was just starting but everybody decamped from the us to the uk ah right so again it was it was luck preparation right place at the right time so the us also shit we can't promote in the us anymore we've got to promote the uk mm-hmm. we're uk we now create a uk bingo site where should we advertise? And you're like, hi, we're here. We're ready, yeah, ready, yeah. waiting for you. Right. Um, and that was the the next step up, in, step up in, right. the, um, in the game. And and again, the market grew and grew and grew and grew and grew. And, and we were there and we were the right place at the right time. And we became market leader. So anybody who launched a bingo site immediately came to us because we were we were market leader. Um, and so by the end of the story, we'd and, and one of the one of the good things and one of the bad things about websites is there's a very low barrier to entry. Right. Like anybody anybody can create a website, mm-hmm. which meant um, and by then the market had changed from from just advertising to to affiliate, mm-hmm. so it was revenue share. So for anybody and and the industry had a lot of of what we call bedroom affiliates who mm-hmm. ran up a website, put a few affiliate links on and created a competitor to us. Mm-hmm. So again, we had to step step our game up. And within that, we ended up doing um, an industry annual report 
mm. obviously with our name on. Uh, we advertised on TV. So we were the first online bingo affiliate to advertise on TV in the UK. And then we created our own industry awards for the online bingo industry. Right, right. We became, we were trying to create a brand mm. within right. the sector. I think you said something very important, Phil, just earlier about uh, as soon as you'd hire somebody, your income went up. And mm-hmm. I think that's a huge lesson a lesson for entrepreneurs out there because a lot of them just can't, or they think they can't afford it. And so they end up doing everything themselves and they can't scale. They can't get, you know, they're, they're working 80 hours a week um, and just, they're just treading water. And I think that's an important, important lesson. So uh, yeah, I think if anyone is out there, this, I, I think, listen to Phil. And and, <laughs> and on that, and, and again, this advice actually came from this business counselor we saw at the time and we were exactly the same because yeah, one of the scariest things you do in business mm-hmm. is when you take on your first member of staff. Yep. Because oh, yeah. as, as, as an owner operator, if we have a good month, fantastic. You know, we'll yep. eat steak and we'll go out to restaurants, we'll go to the cinema. And if we don't, we eat beans and bread. <laughs> but right. once it's once you've got an employee, you think, oh my God, you know, if we have a bad month, the mm-hmm. kids will have shoes on their feet, yep. they won't be able to eat and they won't be able to pay the mortgage and the rent. But this counselor said to me, he said, Look, actually, what you're doing is you're actually exposing yourself. I mean, in the UK, most most uh, new hires are on a three-month probationary contract mm-hmm. with, a, with a month's notice either way. So simple maths. If I if I take on somebody uh, on $36,000 a year, right? So you, as a business owner, you think, oh, my God, $36,000, that's enormous. Mm-hmm. But actually, your exposure is $3,000 because mm-hmm. it's just one month's salary. Yep. So if you look at it that way and you go, okay, am I willing – Am I willing to? I'm not saying take people on and, and sack them straight away, but what I'm saying is, if you if you're willing to say, look, do you know what? I think we've got enough business to fund this person. Can I test three thousand dollars in the market for a month's salary? Mm-hmm. Right. And inevitably, if you're at that point, as Kathleen, as you say, and you're working, you know, every hour God sends, that no way once you've got somebody in to do some work for you, as long as they're not dreadful at their job right. you're going to go oh god this is amazing because your capacity expands absolutely absolutely yeah it does and i found if, if i can jump in very quick sure. one when i had a trading business in in an, on another continent and i took on i think i had about 12 full-time employees i worked out my break even to cover their overhead so i said I ha- that's what I need to make payroll so my goal was always to make payroll in the first week of the month and if I could make payroll with my gross profit in the first week of the month then I knew I was safe the business was going to survive another month so I found it a huge motivator if I looked at it like that and not at what it's going to cost for the year so yeah I like yeah. that that's good that's good I like that so, so sorry Phil, Kathleen no not at all Phil if you can talk to us about this concept or this notion of a business sounding board and why entrepreneurs or business owners would, uh, would, would how would it be helpful to them? Okay, so I'll, I'll fill in the, the, the gap between that. Sure. So we, we sold the business and it's just coming up to five years ago now. Um, and it's, you know, you read all these business books and they talk about startup and growth and investment and acquisition and sale and all the M&A and all this sort of stuff. And then, you you know, the end goal is you sell your business. Mm-hmm. Hooray, sold the business. Nobody writes chapter 11. That's like, right. What do you do after? <laughs> you know, what do you do after that? So um, long story short, I ended up, uh, and if, 
you know, people would, after I sold the business, I had various friends who got businesses and they came to me and were asking for advice. And, you know, what do you think of this? And, and, and I've got this problem. Can we discuss this? And you sold your business. What did it look like? How does it feel? And it, it actually was just at the start of lockdown. And I thought, well, yeah, lockdown over here, the, the weather was lovely. So everyone was just sat in the garden. It was great. And I sat there and, and thought, like, I can't do nothing forever. And I thought, well, they, you know, people seem to get some benefit out of what I'm telling them. So maybe I can make this a business. Mm. And one of the things that's, that's wonderful about running your own business is you're the boss. Mm-hmm. You make the decisions. You can take the business wherever you want. You can do this strategy, this new product launch, whatever you want to do. The problem is, or one of the problems is, you've never really got anybody you can sit and really honestly talk to and go, Kathleen, I've got this, I've got this idea. Is this is this really mad? Is this stupid? Does you know? Can you just you know? Or I've got this. I've got this. You know, more likely, I've got this problem. I need somebody to, to to thrash it out with. And as business owners, and I struggled a lot with imposter syndrome. Like I'm just making this up as I go along. I just hope nobody works out that I don't know what I'm doing. Um, and to have somebody who is who is outside of the business who isn't an investor or non-exec or hasn't in no shape or form has got any not not any interest in the business but has an interest in in the sort of financial and emotional sense rather than just mm-hmm. interest who can sit with you and go okay peter let's discuss that let's throw it around you know mm-hmm. why do you think where's this problem come from what do you think might be a solution have you thought about this have you thought about that have you considered this um or i've got this brilliant opportunity have you have you thought about cracking it this way or that way or the other way? And unfortunately, a lot of business owners think they have somebody to, to soundboard with, and it might be their accountant, it might be their lawyer, it might be their friends who've got another business, it might be their husband or wife. Um, but all of those people subconsciously have a bias. Mm-hmm. Right. And you know, we use the phrase over here, somebody's got to tell you your baby's ugly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good one metaphoric metaphorically only only metaphorically and i haven't seen any of your babies so i can't comment um and to be able to give you that honest answer but but most of the time and most of my clients is they're just stuck they're stuck strategically they're stuck in the day to day they can't see the big picture right. and and most of the issues I talked with my clients, they know the answer. They just need somebody to, to tease it out of them. And I do that by asking questions, prodding and poking. Why, why do you say that? Have you, you know, and just even have you considered this or have you considered that? And, and because I've been through the whole startup growth sale process, in many, many situations, I can say, well, this happened to us. Um, you know, it's not the same, but this happened to us, and we considered this, this, and this, and this is how it played out. Mm-hmm. Now, you might want to consider the same things, or you might want to consider something else. Um, and I think having been there and done it gives me the, the credibility that somebody is going to go, Absolutely. is going to listen. Um, sure. you know, and I'm not, and I'm not doing anything as a sounding board. I'm not doing anything clever or smart or or unique. I'm just tend to ask the right sort of questions that make that person then think, do you know what, you're right, absolutely right. And that's how it works. And I think with most business owners, 
you know, one of the things about running your own business, I think you've, I always think you've got to have a bit of an ego about you. You've got to, you've got to have that, hey, give it me, I can do it. I can do it better than the rest of the market. I know what I'm doing. And particularly when you've got a team and you, you then roll in that ego to actually hold your hand up and go, I need some help. Mm-hmm. Right. That's a really, really difficult thing to do as a business owner. But if you've got somebody, and it doesn't have to be me, it could be anybody. Um, if you've got somebody you feel you can trust who can give you unbiased and confidential information and, and advice, or, or it's not even a, sometimes it's not advice, it's just let's talk about it. And I, I've had client, I've had sessions with clients, and they'll talk for half an hour and I'll ask two questions, and they go, "Oh my god, that's been so helpful!" Right. I, I've not done anything. I've just I've just asked a few exactly. questions. And that that brings me to another. It's another point for entrepreneurs to learn um, is is that they really should invest in a coach because it's an investment in themselves ultimately, isn't that right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I use, I always and I wrote I wrote an article recently about coaches mm-hmm. and this issue of of you know I don't need to Usain Bolt has a coach. He's the fastest man on earth. If he's that, mm-hmm. why does he need a coach? You look at all the best. Any sportsman, you look at, you pick out any sportsman, particularly individual sportsmen, and they've got a coach. Sure. Yep. If you're that good, if you're the world's number one, you know, you're Djokovic, I bet he's got a coach. Yep. Yeah. We, we interviewed a, a woman who's who's a highly successful coach, business coach, last week, I think well, two weeks ago. Her interview will be published in a couple of weeks' time. And she says, I have three coaches myself, one for this, one for this, and one for this. She said, I spent a lot of money on coaches. I'm successful by anybody's measure, but I spend money on three different coaches. So mm-hmm. Exactly what you're saying. W- one point, I, f- I was a farmer in Africa for many years of my life uh, in between being a business owner, and I found the farming community were different to the other b- normal business community in that they offered that sort of advice and, and asked that sort of advice much more freely than any other brick-and-mortar businesses. I guess because there's very little commitment competition between individual farmers so they're more open to both giving and receiving advice and being sounding boards so I, I found that community was pretty good and here in Canada with my exposure to farming much the same yeah so um, Phil oh, we could talk to you for hours but something that's really worrying me is that I read an article probably two weeks ago that since in the last two years since the lockdown virtually half a million small businesses in the UK have closed their doors and when I was speaking to my brother two weeks ago, he's in the transport, he has a business, he owns a business in the transport sector. And he said, Peter, he said, it's like three weeks ago, someone turned the key off. He said, we were coasting along quite well, up and down, not too bad, recovering a bit from the lockdown. And he said, three weeks ago, it was like they turned the key off. He said, I've had to lay guys off. And uh, he said, I don't know, I don't know what the future is holding, going to hold for me. Many of my clients have closed their doors. What's your feeling on all that, uh, Phil? I think, um, I mean, one of the one of the big issues over here, and I don't know, I don't know about about you guys in, in Canada, is we've we've got a we've got a big big issue with energy, the cost yeah. of energy, mm. electricity, gas. Yes, and and it's amazing, and you don't you don't you tend not to think about these things, but it's amazing how much that is a contributor to the cost base mm-hmm. of so many different businesses in, in so many different ways, and I think that is that's driving inflation over here. Mm-hmm. And you know, people have come out of come out of COVID, and and obviously lots of businesses went under during COVID. But conversely, lots of businesses went through the roof because of COVID. Yes. Um, 
and and then you know the next barrier we've always we've also had um the complete idiocy of brexit but that's a that's a completely different issue um and then we've got this energy crisis that, mm-hmm. and and everybody is everybody is saying the same thing which is look i've got this in huge it's not just you know i mean obviously costs always go up in your business yeah they just inch sure. their way up. but these have been big step changes that people have just said i can't do this anymore mm-hmm. because because this is just i can either pass it on and then people stop buying my service because it becomes too expensive or we just you know we're this is where our business you know if our turnover level is here and we were making a profit before and then your energy your energy bills take it over the top what do you do? You know, right. and I think that is that's in this current time period. I think that's the big issue. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right. mm-hmm. Yeah, that's worrying. And then you just had a wave of strikes in the last couple of weeks. That can't be helping too much either with doctors, doctors, and train staff and a few others. So that must yeah. be adding pressure to a lot of businesses as well. Yeah, and it's you know I don't want to get political on all this. No, sure. Um, you know, we've had the same government for nearly twelve years, and we are in a crisis. So, as, <laughs> as you guys say, as you guys say, do the math. We, right. we have we have similar problems with governments yeah. as well. But okay. um, Kathleen's got something she wants to ask you. So. <laughs> You've spoken about the monetization of a niche before. What advice would you have for the podcasters in our audience about monetizing their content? Oh, that's a that's a very good question. Um. One of the things, like, one of the things, one of the one of the reasons we were successful is because we were very niche. Mm-hmm. So, in in the gaming industry, you have sports betting, you have casino, you have poker, you have bingo, and you now have lottery and and slots as well. But we stayed, and and lots and lots of companies do all of them, mm-hmm. and it's the same in lots and lots of different industries that you know there's just numerous bits of your industry do a bit of that, a bit of that, a bit of that. But we uber niched. And and I would say exactly the same with podcast hosts. And I'll give you a very, very quick example that somebody told me, and I just think this, this makes the point. Um, and I don't know whether it's true or not. It might be apocryphal. There's a, there's a personal trainer, okay? And he specializes in post-birth mums, okay? So they want, to get, they want to get their, you know, they want to get their body back after, after, after birth. Now, as a personal trainer, he could train anybody. Right. He could train Kathleen. He could train you, Peter. You look you mm-hmm. look far too svelte to need a to need a trainer. But you know, if you did, um, but he only trains post birth mums. So wow. if you're a post birth mum and you've got half a dozen trainers, you could go to. You've got five generalists and this guy who specialises in post mums. Who are you going to go to? Right, Ghostbusters. But that's a different. <laughs> 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 um, so the more you niche. The stronger your sales, your 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 potential monetization goes. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. let's talk about podcasts. You know, if if you say we're a podcast for business, mm-hmm. okay. So the I don't know the CEO of Netflix could listen to it, and a guy who started up yesterday could listen to it. But if you niche down, and I always say you should niche three levels at least. So level one, we're in business. Level two, uh, we're in. Uh, particularly business sector level three we're in small businesses in pod you know, we're whatever your podcast topic is if you go down two levels you then become the podcast or a very small group of podcasts in that sector so anybody who wants to target that audience now you know if you were in 
again, take a simple example. You're a food podcast. Okay. Mm-hmm. You talk about food. Okay. So let's level down one. We're a vegetarian podcast. Okay. Let's level down again. We're actually a vegan podcast. Um, what, what, what goes below vegan? Uh, but anyway, all right. So we're now a vegan podcast for, and we only talk to Canadian people. Mm-hmm. So if I'm a Canadian vegan and there are a hundred podcasts out there, which one am I going to listen to? Sure. And once you've got a, once you've got a very niche audience, you've then got a very niche product that you can sell. So if I'm a, if I'm a, a, a Canadian vegan product or a manufacturer, where do I, which podcast of all a hundred podcasts do I want to get my product on? Right. It's that one. So the more you niche, you actually, and somebody once said to me, you actually need to niche so far down that you're you're in a marketplace of one. Of one, right. Yeah. So yeah. if you're a podcast, I mean, you know, conversely, if you're a generalist in any market, you've got a much, much bigger audience to go at. And 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 again, there are there are pros and cons to that as well. Right. Sure, sure. But uh, you're absolutely correct because I, I follow several, quite a few podcasts and the ones that are targeted, their audience set tends to be far less fickle than the generalists, right? Um, if it's of general interest, it's it's easy to listen to the odd one and maybe in two months' time you listen to another one. When it's really specific, you tend to listen to every episode, right? Yeah. If, if, if you're interested in what they're specific about, obviously. Yeah, that makes sense. And in fact, we're on that, we've been on that road ourselves. We, we realized that we've been going three years and we realized at the start, you can't be all things to all people. Right. It's, it's interesting and it's fun, but it's not a business model. Right. Yeah. And I, I've, I've looked at a couple of times I've sort of thought, and, I, and as with many entrepreneurs, I'm a, I'm a shiny, shiny new things person. I think, oh, I'll launch a podcast. So I've looked into it a couple of times and, you know, this niching is one of the things. The other thing is something like 90% of podcasts don't get past eight episodes. That's right. So actually you get to 10, you're, you're in like 1% anyway. Yep. For sure. Um, yeah. So, you know, and again, it's the same with, same with, you know, businesses. What is it? I think the stat is like, what is it? 70% of businesses don't last five years. So yeah, Something like that. Yeah, for sure. Oh yeah, you're right. You're right. So, Phil, we, I, I'm watching time and being very aware of your time as well. You, you talk about the difference between generating revenue from affiliate marketing and advertising revenue. Can you give our audience a few thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, I mean, the affiliate market works different ways in, in different sectors. Um, sure. But one of the beauties of affiliate revenue, depending on the affiliate market you're in, and, and, and one of the beauties of the online gaming market is when they first launched, and it, it was for many, many years was the same, it was it was based on what's called lifetime value. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Peter, you come to my website, you, you sign up via a link on my website to a bingo site, you spend $50 a month for f- forever, I get a percentage of that $50 every single month. Right. So what you end up with is a recurring revenue, mm-hmm. which then means, and we had this in, in many occasions, we were still getting a check sent to us from brands we were no longer marketing because we'd sent them players way, way back. Right. So what you end up with, and, and different affiliate markets work in different ways. Some do do what's called CPA, which is cost per acquisition. So mm-hmm. you sign up, I get $50 for you signing up, and that's the way it goes. With advertising, and, and it's simply, um, you know, I can say to an advertiser, you appear on this page for $1,000, 
and that's it. And if you get a million customers, brilliant. Or I'll run the ad for free, but I want 40% of the revenue it generates. And there's, again, there's pros and cons of both. Sure. Um, we did a couple of times we did the exercise, you know, where do we optimize our money? And and while not being, you know, really specific, it came out that actually, because we priced our ads, because we one of the things we had was a flexible rate card in that we, and I talk about pricing a lot and clients always say, oh, I can't put my prices up. People won't buy, people won't pay that. Mm-hmm. Guess what? They will. Yeah. Um, and we kept putting our advertising prices up until clients went, whoa, 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 it's not making money for us. So actually we got to a point where we'd optimized our advertising prices, which actually were around long-term where we would be with affiliate revenue as well. Right. Um, so there are pros and there are pros and cons to both. To both you know, sure. one, of the, one of the beauties of recurring revenue is it makes you more sellable further down the line because somebody can yeah. see there's there's revenue coming. You know, your sales figure doesn't go back to zero on you know the first of the month every month. And and again with affiliate marketing, you don't have to go and keep on selling, pitching to new advertisers as as some drop out. So it's longer term. Yeah. yeah. Back to you, Kathleen. Well, Peter, we're running low on time, so why don't you uh, ask your burning question? My burning question, yes. Let's ask Phil my burning question. Phil, our burning question, we ask all our successful guests, and you're clearly right up at the top of that list. Is there one, in your mind, with your experience and all the people you've come across, is there one characteristic mindset habit that sets successful people apart from those that remain average? And I don't just mean accumulating wealth. I mean success in the full term balance life health and everything else one thing or more complicated than that um the one thing i always tell everybody is well, jfdi just you can do it because what you will never what inevitably will happen is if you've got if yeah do all your research and your analysis and all that sort of stuff and if your gut and i always say follow your gut if your gut says I think this is the right way to go. I would say do it. And I'd say that for a couple of reasons. One, if 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 you don't do it, all that you'll do is chew yourself up thinking, oh, what if I what if I'd done that? What if I'd done that? And it will always still be there in the back of your head. And if right. you do it, A, you're gonna be more passionate about it because you really believe your gut's telling you this is the right way to do it. This is, you know, you'll 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 drive through walls to prove it's gonna be right. But if you don't do it, oh sorry, if you do do it and it doesn't work. Hey, you did it, and you were wrong, and you learn from it, and you move on. So Absolutely. I always say to people, yeah, go for it. And and the other thing, uh, sort of layered on top of that, is at the end of the day, most of us are not doing anything that that's going to kill anybody or brain surgery or anything really, really important. You know, sure, sure. If it really, really goes badly, what's what's the worst that could happen? You know, it doesn't work. Get yourself a job. There's thousands of jobs out there, and and you know, if you if you're Good enough and smart enough to have the brains and the balls to set up a business in the first time, you'll an employer will will love you anyway. So the the upside versus the downside is just go for it, give it a go, and if it works, it works. If it doesn't, learn from it, and then do it again and do it again, or or just go. Do you know what? Hey, I'm not cut out to do this. I'll get a job. Sure. Right. No, good, very good advice. And, and tied in with that is if you if you adopt that, just do it. You take action, right? Too many people come up with good ideas, and the ideas die because they they don't just do it; they leave it. Exactly. Oh, we've all we've all. I mean, you know, I, I this happened to me. I've I've seen 
an idea in a newspaper or a magazine it was and I thought that was my idea I thought of that yeah, yeah okay. but it's still up here it's still up here I didn't do anything about it right well so yeah. how do oh you, wonderful how do people contact you Okay, so um, most people find me on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn most days um, or find me on my website, which is philfraser.co.uk. Do not go to philfraser.com because philfraser.com is a medieval reenactment costume company. <laughs> Wrong Phil. Okay. So if you, if you land on this website and it looks like Robin Hood and all that sort of stuff, <laughs> That's not it's me. Wrong one. That's not me. That's the wrong website. So it's <laughs> philfraser.co.uk. .uk. Okay, we'll make sure we get that absolutely correct on the captions. And for our audio <laughs> listeners, you won't see captions. It's in the description. <laughs> Great. Phil, thanks very much for that. That was that was wonderful. I was really enjoyed that. Thank you. Yes, thank you so much, Phil. And um, it was an absolute pleasure having you on, on the show today. And Peter, you wanted to talk about our, our, our newsletter. Very quick one to our audience. You know, you've just experienced another wonderful guest that we find. And if you don't want to miss out on the next ones coming along, pop onto our website, theyackingshow.com and sign up to be a member of our community. And we will send you a newsletter every week telling you who's coming on the show. And if anybody is interested in being a guest on our show, we invite you to visit theyackingshow.com. All you need to do is click on the contacts tab where you will find a short application form. And by the way, we have access to so many experts on this show. So please let us know what topics you'd like us to cover. And uh, until next time, take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.